Hello there, Star Wars fans. This is The Way. Welcome to the very first episode of The Bounty Puck, a show where we discuss Mandalorian episodes. This week is our inaugural episode, and we're talking about Chapter 1, colon, The Mandalorian. I am your host, Kent Blue Milk Latte Solace, and I'd like to welcome my partner and co-pilot aboard the Blue Milk Latte podcast cruiser, uh, Chris Christophsis Mead. Hey guys, uh, welcome to The Mandalorian. Thank you, yeah. Yeah, I'm excited, <laughs> uh, I'm excited to talk Mandalorian for, for the uh, foreseeable future here as we get started in uh, Mando season. Uh, today was announced on StarWars.com and across all those social media channels that they're going to be having Mando Mondays, where they're going to be talking about uh, new merch, uh, new new drops, new comics and stuff to do with The Mandalorian. So as we are here in the Star Wars podcast world uh, wanting to be relevant and successful, we're going to tune into that as well. Also, we're just big fans of The Mandalorian as well. So get ready for all the Mandalorian stuff you can handle. Didn't they say it was October 26th, I think, is the Mandal- Mando Monday? Yeah, that's the first one. And I think like every Monday thereafter, they're probably going to be doing okay. stuff here and there. Well, I thought it was going to be time releases. Oh, I don't know. Man, I didn't look that much into it, to be fair. But I thought from what the little piece I saw of it, it was just going to be the one Monday. And then, because that's the Monday before the new season drops. And so they'll just dump a bunch of merch and stuff, and season two stuff. And then season two will start like the next week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're definitely going to be doing that. And I think the way that I read it is every Monday, at least for like a few weeks, they're just going to be highlighting like different uh, different stuff. One of which that they haven't really formally announced, um, like any writers or cover art or anything. I think we might be getting like a Mando comic book series. Ooh, um, that could be fun. Yeah, so that might be pretty rad to get into. Um, but we'll see more as yeah. Uh, I, I feel like if they're gonna do that, it has to be like some kind of a um, intro, like a prequel series, like a like a Mando Year One to borrow yeah. from from Batman from DC. Heck yeah! I mean, we'll get into it uh, as we go on with these episodes. But the Mandalorian kind of is Batman, sort of. Yeah, he's yeah. got a. We don't know who his parents are. He's got a grappling hook. He's a uh, pretty badass. You know, parents were parents were killed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so before we get into the thick of this uh, episode, um, as far as Chapter 1, The Mandalorian is concerned, let's rewind the clock a little bit back before November 12th, 2019. Before that uh, fateful day that we were introduced to this new character and all these new characters um, for Star Wars. How did we feel this was going to go down? Chris, I'll let you kick it off. Okay. So I remember the announcement was made celebration, I believe. I think it was celebration. And I remember being really irritated because they showed footage. It's one of some convention. I believe it was one of the celebrations, one of the last couple ones. They they showed Mando footage and they did not put it online. And I was so mad about that. Yeah, they did a really because, like, the I will say this, um, you know, in this world of virtual conventions and stuff, that I feel like Star Wars Celebration did one of the better jobs of um, live streaming their conventions. Um, so that I, I could, so basically, the, the last couple um, that I was not able to attend, um, I just watched it on my phone, watched it at home, watched the you know, uh, at, you know, 
afterwards uh, at the day we'll go back and, re- and watch the panels i missed uh they had really good fillers in the middle so it was really just like a whole day of programming i don't know so yeah but i remember like they showed it there was conspicuously like a, a dead spot in the in the uh panel where i was like what yeah. the and then i was looking it up and like oh yeah no, they showed a bunch of footage and uh they're not gonna put it online i was like son to jerks yeah 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 <laughs> um but I mean, that all that aside, but once you did start kind of start seeing the stuff, uh, it was really exciting. It was exciting to see what live action Star Wars could look like. I know there have been rumors of one for a while. Um, Neil Lucas talked about doing one that was like set in the Coruscant underworld, um, which kind of sounded fun. And then then this seemed like this might have been where that was going, mm-hmm. but it's not. Um, no, it was. Uh, I was really excited and. Uh, it, it just kind of everything I saw, like, kind of got more exciting. Where it was like, do I mean the only thing that kind of thing is like, like I said before, I'm not the biggest Boba Fett fan. Uh-huh. Um, I think he's all right. So, like, having a Mando was kind of like, uh, you know, is this Boba Fett? Is it not Boba Fett? If it is Boba Fett, I don't know if I'm really going to be into this that much. Uh, I was kind of, you know, kind of excited that it's not Boba Fett, honestly. Uh, and then. And and then like it's kind of lead up was just really exciting. The more we saw about, it. and I just I love that the giant. One of my favorite things with Mandalorian is that the twist at the end of episode one, there is no way you could have known it going into it. Like there was no teases, there was no rumors, or you know Star Wars always there's always somebody who has the scoop on it. I didn't, I don't remember hearing or seeing any kind of scoop on what on what was coming. Yeah, I think uh, you know kudos to them for for somehow <laughs> in this giant industry keeping that the biggest secret like ever and it managed to stay secret until it aired and i thought it was really good uh, it was really good on them yeah yeah they definitely had some ironclad uh ndas uh working yeah. <laughs> working on that production yeah um yeah so some of my um some of my thoughts pre debut of uh, the show is um I didn't really know what to expect, as I'm sure a lot of us are in the same boat uh, back then. Um, this is not the type of live action show that I would have wanted. Um, going, right. go, going back, it's not the type of show that I would have wanted at all. It's not how I would have, um, you know, wanted at least the first Star Wars live action show to go down. With that being said, it blew away all of my uh, um, theories about what I wanted in a Star Wars show. And, and I've, you know, really fallen in love with it. All the, you know, cute uh, baby Yoda. Uh, I don't want to say gimmick, but gimmicky stuff aside, it's still a solid show uh, just in its own right without, um, you know, all the uh, baby Yoda memes and all that stuff, but we'll get into baby Yoda here towards the end. Um <laughs> Also, spoiler for uh, anybody listening, uh, if you're listening to this, we're going to be getting deep into spoilers here. So if you haven't seen The Mandalorian Show, um, go watch it now and then come come back here. Um, I'm sure 99.9% of you have already watched uh, The Mandalorian multiple times, though, if you're listening to this podcast. So so we should be in a safe space here. Um, But one of the things that I, I thought is... I thought we would see um, a different part of the galaxy in the show, and we did. We we do go to a few familiar spots, a few familiar planets in the show, but for the most part, we're seeing brand new stuff, and that I like. 
Um, I'm not one of those fans that's like, no, 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 Star Wars is Coruscant and Tatooine, and like you should pretty much just stay there. Like, there's a galaxy of ten to like a hundred thousand planets out there. Let's see some new ones. So, I was really happy with that as well. Um, yeah, that's pretty much all I got as far as like what I was expecting. Um, Chris, do you want to add anything else? Well, I was just going to kind of go back to something you had said about um, kind of what how this wouldn't be the show you would have picked as you know as a topic of a show and i, I yeah. kind of I, I get that because like because you're right because there there's a lot of because like every other star wars series you know clone wars resistance um rebels have all been tangentially uh, connected to the movie somehow yeah uh, whether it's stuff that happens between movies setups for movies they we established canon uh, you have, you know, characters from the movies either in them or cameoing on them. So, yeah. So when you're hearing Star Wars TV show, you're like, oh, okay, well, maybe we'll get, um, you know, Luke's Jedi Academy live action. Or maybe we'll get um, like a, a young Kylo Ren, a young Ben Solo story. Yes. Or maybe we'll get, you know, uh, I don't know, even even like maybe we can we can do a young uh, a young Princess Leia series where, you know, that way we could recast Leia as, as another actress, you know, like they did in Solo, uh, you know, with, with uh, Harrison Ford, where, like, you can recast it so you're not, you know, crapping on uh, Carrie Fisher's legacy, but you can still do more Leia stories. Like, you know, yeah. there's all different, different ways that you kind of, when you think Star Wars TV show, you would have thought that you're going with something that, that ties into the movie somehow. And here we have something that does not, as far as we know so far, tie into anything. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they reference the events of the films because they are like significant, but there's no like there's no tie to it. Like there's no connection to any of the main story, main Skywalker saga. And yeah. I think that's what makes this awesome. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and it's yeah, truly just a testament to what John Favreau, Dave Filoni, and the cast and crew were able to create um, with this show. Pretty much giving us something totally different than what fans may have wanted, um, but surpassing our expectations at the same time yeah and and, and weirdly like with all of these reference to references to things we've heard talked about seen or maybe heard but not seen and uh, i mean we'll get into that. there's a lot so much stuff in here where you're like holy cow we're we're just canonizing all sorts of weird things that you didn't think were canon now they are i guess <laughs> yeah 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 yep yeah love that love that part um so getting into the episode here uh, it is obviously the very first episode of The Mandalorian. It is set in the year 9 ABY. Uh, that's nine years after the Battle of Yavin. Uh, it debuted on November 12th, 2019. It is, uh, I believe, one of the first uh, Disney Plus shows. It launched along with Disney Plus. So not yeah. only were we getting the, this first Star Wars live action show, we were seeing the beginnings of uh, Disney's streaming service, which to me, uh, as far as I'm concerned, is a, it's a home run. It's a great platform for families. Uh, it's a great platform for any fans of Disney parks uh, and just, you know, really good, wholesome content. Um, yeah. Is- and I, I really, I really feel like that the success of Disney plus is built on the back of the Mandalorian. Like there's, I mean, because you look at like some of these other shows, some of these other streaming platforms that have launched recently, like HBO Max or Peacock or some of these other things. Yeah. Even, and that's what that's what kind of like what I've heard people talk about, like HBO Max especially. 
HBO Max doesn't have that show that is driving everyone to sign up for it. It's got a bunch of like cool stuff like, hey, remember this show? And hey, you love Big Bang Theory. We have it all here. And hey, you know, all the shows and all the HBO original programming that's on our HBO you know, cable channel. We have that, too. But they don't have like the big original that like drew people like same thing like Netflix had in its first couple. I don't remember it launched, but in, you know, within a few years, they had things like Orange is the New Black and yeah. um, the other one. A couple other like big original programming that were like water cooler programming that drew people in. And yeah. I think that that really kind of cemented their success. And for Disney Plus, it's the Mandalorian. Like I'm not I'm not going to sugarcoat that like 100 percent that without the Mandalorian, I don't know if Disney plus would be as dominant as, as it is today. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So just real quick on with HBO max, um, hindsight is always 2020. Uh, but can you imagine how much more slightly successful it would have been had they, um, granted, I don't think they knew that they were going to be doing this two or three, four years ago, whatever it was, if they had stretched out game of Thrones by a season or two, and the, when they launch HBO Max, you're getting you're getting the very last season, the finale season of Game of Thrones. How like that would have hooked a lot of people into that. Story yeah, right. There. Well, I think I mean I, I think they're finally kind of getting their ducks in a row, um, and a lot of it, in unfortunately, is at the cost of DC Universe. Yeah. To get off on a tangent about Warner Brothers and HBO DC stuff is that like uh like they're like the, the new animated season of harley quinn season three will be on hbo max exclusively yeah uh doom patrol is on hbo max exclusively uh there's that uh the ridley scott series raised by wolves is on there right now uh, yeah. which i've heard is amazing i haven't had a chance to check it out but i've heard a couple people talk about it and it's supposed to be really cool mm. so i think they're finally getting some the original programming that will drive viewership but yeah there was they had nothing at launch yeah and that's yeah, I think that's what disney plus's big advantage was they had the mandalorian like in the chamber cocked ready to go yep yep 100 percent. the mouse knows what he's doing for the most part yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so the Mandal- this mandalorian episode it dropped uh again on november 12 2019 uh it is written by john favreau and directed by dave filoni also produced and co-produced by those uh, same gentlemen, uh, along with Kathleen Kennedy and um, a lot of other great folks. Um, I believe this is the first live action directing that uh, Filoni has done. I believe before, previous to this, it's only been animated stuff. Yes, yes. This is his, so that's ver- yeah, this is his first foray into live action. Yep, you are absolutely right. I mean, for um, on both sides of on both sides of the lens too, as far as like uh, not on lens, but as far as like being you know writing it and uh, you know being a show running it and all that kind of stuff, and uh, you know and, and directing it too. So he, so this is this is an interesting you know kind of his first shot. But as we saw in the past, like you know, Clone Wars was, was his first kind of directing thing too, and it you know it knocked out. It, it eventually got there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but I mean, but although it was a fault of his, I think some of it was the technology and kind of not have not kind of zeroing on what you were doing with it yet you know for for a couple seasons but you know finding its audience and all that but yeah. you know i mean also you got to look at just forget about like star wars or television or i mean not television but or like kids television just think about how much just television in general has changed from 2008 right. to 2020 right. well um, yeah i mean we've got you know we've got game of thrones we've got you know uh westworld we've got a lot of you know all these different shows that have made genre um 
what I'm going to say, like has made genre uh, television much more mainstream, much more water cooler worthy. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, previous things like Game of Thrones and stuff, like that, most of your water cooler shows was like Mad Men, Breaking Bad, Desperate Housewives, like just straight like dramas that were, yeah. you know, kind of insane, but still so basically grounded in reality yeah uh and then, you know and then then all of a sudden now you know after you know cold wars and you know all that then all of a sudden now genre television is also you know people everyone's watching it like yeah. it doesn't have to be a nerd you don't have to be like a, a... yeah totally totally um so this episode to me this very first one um, was in hindsight a perfect way to introduce the Mandalorian to us. It hit yeah. every genre beat that I think we pretty much get in the first season in the very first episode. It's a very good smorgasbord of like, hey, if you like this episode, you're gonna love the rest of this season. Because um, you get you get a little bit of everything. You get some humor. You get some action. You get uh, some spirit. Some. Um, some of the, not the force literally, but some of, uh, you know, just lore stuff that we that I specifically like to look for in these uh, shows and these movies. It's all there in the very first episode. Um, well, I'll even go even one step further in that, because uh, I mean, I'm going to know this too. Like, they do such a good job of kind of really setting up who the Mandalorian is in just like just the cold open to the first like five minutes. Yes. Like by the time you get to the title card, you have a real good, you have a real decent sense of who this guy is and what he's going to do. Like, you know, and I thought that was like, I don't know if I've seen another character set up that well, especially for one that has essentially no face (laughs) and had almost no lines. Like you really like, you get a, you know, you get such a, such a good sense of his character and his characterization is done so well in that first, like first five minutes. Yeah. Totally. Um, so getting into the, the beats here, um, and Chris, uh, please feel free to stop me as you see necessary here. We're kind of, we're just going to kind of breeze through the, no, actually, no, we're not going to breeze. We're going to go into depth uh, with the beats of this episode here. Um, so the episode opens with uh, our, our main character, the Mandalorian, uh, later identified as Din Djarin using a tracking fob on a settlement on Maldo Kreis, which is the ice planet we're on. Which, uh, which, how cool was it for just, like, the opening to just be the beeping? And you're like, what is this beeping? And you have, yeah. no, you know, uh, I, I thought it was, I don't know, it really struck me when I watched it again this, this you know, this time for this, for this podcast, where I was like, that beeping was such a cool way of doing it. Yeah. Like, you hear the music, and you just, you just hear the beeping, and it's like, and you're not sure what, what's going on exactly, but, you know, yeah, no, I just yeah. thought, like, that beep. And it was the first time we saw a Star Wars title card that wasn't um, this, the yellow Star Wars logo flying right. away from us at the same time. It's uh, I'm assuming what they're going to be using for future Star Wars TV projects, movies. I don't know if they'll use that, but I can see them definitely using that title card of the flashing, you know, faces of the, the various. Yeah, I have a feeling that's more probably for their um, peripheral shows, like their their Disney Plus offerings and things. I don't know that they'll use that for the movies. Yeah, that could be wrong, but I don't know. Yeah, uh, I don't think they will either. I think there's a certain prestige that comes with the the movies, the films that um, 
they'll probably use something different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so the Mandalorian is using a tracking fob. Uh, oh, I already went over that. Sorry. Uh, inside a uh, unidentified bar, a bearded human trawler and a corn trawler are manhandling a blue-skinned mithril who pleads for his life, saying that he has credits. The bearded Which tra- cool is it to see Quarrens? Uh, like, you don't... They haven't really done anything with Quarrens. There's a little bit in the TV, in the Clone Wars, I think, or one of the TV shows, but I don't know. That was kind of cool. It was the first time you see a Quarren with actual lines and, like, you know, live-action yeah. Quarrens, at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Those yeah, guys are really lot- cool, you know. Yeah, I mean, and that could be the beginning of... Along with standing stuff, we've seen stuff that we've only seen in animation coming to live action, um, as we may or may not see in season two. So we will see. <laughs> um, right. Yeah, the, the blue skin mithril. Uh, yep, okay. The bearded trawler wants to kill him for his valuable musk, uh, who, which that's already lore building right there. Like, who knew that mithril had musk that like could be sold? Um, or, or yeah, and then who knows? And who really thought that, like, you know, some sentient, you know, beings would be hunting other sentient beings for body parts? It's a little, little weird. Yeah, yeah. Little, 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 little harsh, little dark to start with. Yeah, yeah. Before the two trawlers can do any more harm, the armored and masked Mandalorian steps into the bar, in which is a amazing, like, hero, like, entrance shot. Um, right from that shot, you know, okay, we're getting a space western. That's what's going on right now. Awesome. Love it. Um, speaking in Hatties, the bearded trawler tells Jaren that he spilled his drink the last time he came. Uh, the Mandalorian ignores him and goes up to the counter. The bearded trawler reiterates his threat to Jaren, translating for Jaren, the human bartender, tells uh, the Mandalorian that he says that he spilled his drink. The Mithril tries to break free, but the Corrin holds him down. Um... The two trawlers accost the Mandalorian, taking an interest in his Beskar. And this, uh, a lot of hardcore fans knew at the time what Beskar was, but I think this introduced to the general audience um, that Mandalorians use uh, Beskar for armor. Um, well, and, and don't and do we kind of get the impression that his armor is not Bes- Beskar? I think it is. I think it's his old AF. But that, oh, okay. I could be wrong. Because I mean, it does scratch like like he does uh, bring a knife to it to scratch it, and it right. does leave like a little a little mark. But I mean, it still it still seems pretty strong. Well, and 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 to be fair, like you know, his best car in this episode or his armor is is painted like his chest plate is not the silver we see later. It's an actual. It's like brown or red or something. Yeah, it's like second or third hand uh, armor. I think, yeah. Right. So the bartender tries to defuse the situation by serving a drink to the Mandalorian. Um, but the Mandalorian, being who he is, he gets into a fight with two trawlers. He knocks the bearded man to the ground, and the Corrin tries to flee through the cantina doors, but the Mandalorian trips him with a grappling line. The Corrin shoots uh, the Mandalorian, but his blaster bolt bounces off the Mandalorian's armor. And the Mandalorian fires his blaster at the door controls, causing the door panels to shut and slice the cord in half, killing him. That alone right there was just, like, yeah, an amazing shot, an amazing scene. Um, It shows, like, in a very PG-13 way, how lethal the show is going to be. Right. Yeah. 
I also I also want to highlight this the combat use because this is not the Star Wars highly choreographed martial arts combat we've seen before. This is like just punching guys in the face combat. Like it's very visceral. It's very there's no art to it. It's just dirty. It's dirty fighting. It's punching. It's there's no like there's there's no expertise to it. It's just fighting. Yeah, bar fighting pretty much. Yeah. Right, and and, and I think it was kind of cool. It was very again, like you said, it highlights this is a different kind of Star Wars show. This is not, you know, Jedi's and their martial arts and flips and stuff and whirling their lightsabers. This is just straight up like punching guys in the face. Yeah. Yep. The Mithril thinks the Mandalorian offers to buy him a drink. However, the Mandalorian instead shows him a hologram that confirms the Mithril is a wanted fugitive, which. I'm going to pause here. They never state what his offenses are. I'm really interested because this little blue guy, he doesn't seem like he's that, like, I don't know, like he's that uh, mean or bad of a guy. He kind of seems like a wimp. Right. So, well, I would, I would, so my, my takeaway, my reading of that is that I assumed that it was some sort of like he embezzled money or stole money from a crime lord. Like he was a crime lord's accountant or oh, something. You're right. He, he does have a lot of credits. He keeps, he keeps talking about how much money he has. Yeah. But he has all this money and he's all this money, he's all this money. But then you also look at like, where is he? He's not hiding out in a, uh, at Kento bite in a casino. He's in like a dirty bar somewhere in the corners. So I, I have a feeling he stole money from some, from like a, either a crime lord or, uh, a corporation or something like that. I, yeah. That that was my reading of it. Yeah, some like white collar crime, right? And and kind of to back this up. I mean, we're gonna fast forward. I'm gonna fast forward just a little bit. Um, I I I think I, I think he was he's either some kind of a slicer or you know like I said like going to embezzler that way because he also manages to get into the Mandalorian's like weapons locker, which you would assume he has some kind of a security on like a code you know, and somehow this guy was able to like figure out the code or hack the panel or something. They don't really, they don't really show it, but that was my assumption. He kind of knew some way to, you know, reprogram it. Yeah. Good call. Yeah. I never thought about that. He's yeah, de- definitely. Yeah. Like a hacker slicer sort of guy, I think. Yeah. That's, that's, that was kind of, that, that's been, that was my read on it when I was watching it this time. Yeah. Um, and, and also I love, and this show does this twice. Uh, just they do a really good job of of misdirect, yeah. Because the Mando walks in, you know he's there for somebody. You kind of have that, you know, you get that impression. It says it's got that Western vibe on it. You assume it's it's either the Quarren or the human guy because they're scumbags and they're not nice dudes. And you're like, okay, he's got he probably after those guys. Oh no, he's not after those guys. He's after this guy. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And you know, and there, I mean, obviously there's a big one building at the end of the episode. Uh, you know, the the huge the big the biggest misdirect and, and we'll kind of get into the how they set that one up too where they completely send you in a, thinking a different direction and then it goes sideways at the end oh yeah but yeah i just i just, I just love how like they set they, they lead you one direction to just flip it on you real fast and you and you're okay with it it's not like oh what a cheat it's like oh no that's, that's pretty awesome actually yeah 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 for sure the mithril thinks the mandalorian and offers to buy him a drink um, oh, I already covered that. Sorry. Uh, <clears throat> the Mithril claims this is a misunderstanding and tries to bribe his way out. And the Mandalorian is unmoved and says one of the best lines of this episode. Uh, he could bring him in uh, warm or he can bring him in cold. And then, boom, we got the Mandalorian uh, title card and we're, we're off to the races and we're pumped. 
Um, next up, uh, the Mandalorian leads the Chain Mithril back to his ship, and on the way, they encounter a Kubaz ferryman dressed in a parka. Um, the Kubaz ferryman, they're like one of those, uh, I think one of them was like a spy in A New Hope. That, yeah, uh, he's the one, yeah, in, yeah, he's the most isolated, and he he's the one who tells the Empire that um, the droids are there. Yeah, yeah, and uh, up to that point, we just thought that they were um, just like snitches, I guess, <laughs> and we didn't really know what their snout thing was all about. We just thought it was a cool design back in the day, but it turns out that their little snout piece connects to a flute, and then that's how like they can uh, hail ships and communicate and stuff. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, and and just to uh, and just kind of to talk a little bit about the filmmaking involved. What I really noticed in this ep- in the show in general, and this episode does a good job of too. Is you, they they really uh, there's like this weird thing they do where like when they do in when they're inside places, all the shots are very tight. When they're outside places, the shots are there's always an epic shot of like a landscape or you know walking across a hill or like mountains or something, and like it just. Because like you, the whole bar sequence, all the shots are very like close and intimate, and then all of a sudden you get outside and it's just very wide shot. And it was I don't know, it's kind of cool. And they do that all the time. Like every time they go to a new planet, there's always like a, some kind of a wide shot of them like everywhere. Yeah. But all the interiors are like super tight, where there's not a lot of like scenery behind the character. You just see like them and a few things off to the side, but not there's not a lot of detail in in the inside shots. Yeah, I hear you. So that could be attributed to the fact that. On some of the, or most of the shots, they were inside the volume, um, and that might be why they had to do closer up stuff. Because a lot of the right. sets, I don't think, at least for as far as the Mandalorian show is concerned, a lot of the sets weren't super. Um, they didn't build huge sets. What they did was, I think, they had a few props and stuff in the foreground, and then the background, I think, was pretty much all the volume. Um, yeah which could explain as to yeah that filming technique exactly um so yeah and then for those who don't know uh the volume is essentially like this 3d the holodeck holodeck <laughs> room that uh, all the actors and directors are, are into and then they can project any image that they want on on these screens um using like a, a video game engine technology it's like super like super awesome and uh like pretty much like the future i think of like um filmmaking for for a certain ilk of director um it's pretty awesome i think that's one of the things that george lucas would like just like clap to like this is what star wars is like pushing technology pushing film yeah because that's what he was always about um yeah so that's that's the little volume uh thing for you (laughs) um do, do, do. Uh, the Mandalorian says uh, he needs passage uh, back to his ship, which is on the ice, and the Kubaz summons a land speeder that is piloted by an astronaut droid with a flute. Um, the Mandalorian does not want to deal with droids, but the Kubaz says the speeder is brand new, and uh, the Mandalorian insists on an organic pilot. And the Kubaz summons a rundown land speeder piloted by um, a bearded human pilot who asks him where to. Um, who, Brian, Brian Posehn? Yep. Yeah. What's his name again? Brian Posehn. There you go. Yeah. Pretty funny dude. Pretty uh, yeah. pretty nice little cameo in there. Um, yeah. 
the the Mandalorian in the Mithril, they travel with uh, him on his uh, land speeder, and he the pilot or no, I'm sorry, not the pilot, the driver. Uh, he scans the horizon with macro binoculars with the Mithril explaining that he is looking for Ravenax, which are essentially these large monsters that live underneath the ice. And, Space walruses. Yeah, pretty much. Um, <laughs> and uh, the driver explains that it is clear right now, but warns the Mandalorian that the Ravenac tend to cluster around the spaceport because they think the entire planet is their sink pit. Um, yeah. The the driver uh, delivers them to the Mandalorian starship, the Razor Crest, which is the first time we see it in the show, um, which the Mithril uh, describes as junk and offers to hire a better ship. The Mandal- so okay, so so I have two questions right now. Yeah, and my, my two questions are: what in what in the galaxy counts as a quote unquote cool ship? And two, why is it that our heroes always have garbage ships? I don't understand this. Because uh, you have, I think, fun because your razor, yeah, because your because your razor crest introduction is about the same as the Millennium Falcon introduction in New Hope, where you know both times when Luke sees it and when Leia sees it later, you're like, they're like, they're both like, oh, what a piece of junk, and oh, you came in, <laughs> you, you came in that thing, you guys are luckier than I thought. Yeah, I think it has to do with our heroes are always just super frugal and they know what gets the job done, you know. Frugal- yeah. frugality it's 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 a good thing people no um i don't i don't really know um i don't know i mean i love it like you don't want I yeah don't, no it's a cool ship yeah. like um yeah i don't know I, it could be just uh, again to bring up george lucas uh he was a, a motorhead guy himself and he always liked having cars around and hunks of junk and it could just be attributed to they wanted to. They wanted to honor that. Uh, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but then again, while it doesn't look, it doesn't look great. It's a pretty badass ship. Once you get inside yeah. and you start poking around at stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um. So the driver says that it's time to go and warns the Mandalorian to stay off the ice. And the Mithril, Mithril asks if there's going to be uh, something to worry about. While the Mandalorian climbs aboard the Razor Crest, the Mithril sees uh, the speeder. Uh, driving off, and then it gets destroyed and pretty much eaten by Ravenac, which is lurking uh, beneath the ice. Um, the Mithril begs the Mandalorian to open the hatch as the creature approaches, and the Mandalorian pulls him up to safety just in the nick of time, and the Ravenac throws itself against the starship's hull. Uh, the Mandalorian leads his captive uh, into the cockpit, and uh, the Mithril remarks that it was lucky it was a lucky escape, and staying off the ice was the understatement of the millennium. The Razor Crest tries to take off, but the Ravenac latches onto its landing strut. And we get a pretty cool shot of this Ravenac trying to like eat this entire ship, and it's pretty cool. And uh, we get our first, not I would call it a slight reference to the Star Wars Holiday Special. Yeah, but I, threw that, I, I, I mean, I know that. I'm like, uh, throwback to the Holiday Special. Yeah. Yeah, um, the Mandalorian uh, comes out with uh, his rifle blaster uh, and it has... The, Fork. Yeah, I'm sorry? Fork. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it has the, the two prongs on the end that uh, he zaps the Ravenac with uh, and it uh, pretty much lets go and the Razor Crest is able to fly off into the skies. Um, and the Mandalorian returns to the cockpit and... Uh, the Mithril mumbles, let's go, let's go, as the ship ascends into space. 
Um, yeah. During so, mind you, all of this is happening, and we're only like ten minutes into the episode, and yeah. there's just a lot of cool stuff that's happened already. Um, it's a very tight introduction, I think, to to what's going on, uh, especially with our main character here. Well, and dense, like I said, you know, we're you know we're what almost thirty plus minutes into this episode, into this uh, rewatch, and we're only halfway into the half hour show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, during the journey, the Mithril uh, tells the Mandalorian that he likes the Razor Crest. Oh, he likes it now because he, they're safe and away from everything. Right, right. Um, because, uh, quote unquote, it's a classic. Um, he asks whether the ship is pre-Galactic Empire and tells uh, the Mandalorian that he is wealthy and can afford to hail a cruiser. All right. Uh, the Mandalorian remains silent and does not interact with his prisoner. The Mithril asks how much uh, they are paying him, and if it's true that Mandalorians do not take off their helmet, and the Mandalorian remains silent. So this is something new that they very casually introduced there, that Mandalorians do not take off their helmet. Um, up to this point, we thought that it was really no big deal, because in the Clone Wars, they take off their helmets all the time. Right. Um, so it kind of begs the question, okay, so they can't take their helmets off, so that we know that that's going to be an ongoing topic right. in this show. Yeah. yeah. Um, the Mithril claims... Go ahead. I, was, I have a feeling the... Uh, I think the helmet thing... Um, we'll probably get into this a little more. Uh, I'm kind of wondering if maybe his clan of Mandos is maybe a uh, more splintery, more zealot end of the Mandalorian spectrum because they seem like they're much more spiritual about their armor and things because like because all Mandos we've seen up to this point in Clone Wars and um, Rebels are yeah you know, yeah they're really they're warrior culture and all this stuff but they're not as uh, connected to the armor as it appears these particular group of Mandalorians are and I think what kind of we might see later and if we were talking about in our trailer for season two uh, discussion if we do see a Sabine Wren coming up, uh, it would be interesting to see like what her take on him is because she's Mandalorian as well, but she like, she's almost never wears her helmet. Honestly, like I think you see more, like I think there's only, I think you probably see her less with her helmet on than you see uh, the Mandalorian with his helmet off at this point. Yeah. 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 yeah that'll be something interesting that to see if they continue to pull that thread in season or how they pull that thread. I don't think they'll forget yeah. about it. Um. Yeah, that'll be well, and, and you know, and that, and that might cause a you know, like, like might cause a little turn in some of the stuff where maybe we do see uh his face more often later in season two when he finds out that like that's not what Mandalorians are all about. Like you can you can take your helmet off, you can be like you know normal. <laughs> you don't have to be a, you know a faceless killing machine. So I don't know. We'll kind of see what that look what that looks like. Yeah. Yeah. Um. The Mithril claims that he has to use the vac tube warning that he would not want to see a mithril evacuate its thorax. Uh, so things here, is this our first, because uh, we, we see it, we see it, you know, we see a shot of it. Is our first Star Wars bathroom? I feel like this is the first Star Wars bathroom ever. Maybe. I'm, I'm trying, I'm, I, I mean. I, I'm racking my brain right now. I don't think so. Unless, it, I mean, technically, it, Maybe in a Clone Wars episode or a Rebels episode, but I don't know that we've ever actually seen like a Star Wars bathroom before. I mean, if you want to get technical, um, I went to Galaxy's Edge before this, and I was in their bathroom. <laughs> so I mean, that was the first time I saw a Star Wars bathroom. And uh... yeah, I don't know if that counts. I don't... 
I, I mean, like, our in canon, well, Galaxy's Edge is technically in canon. Uh, like, our first, like, on screen <laughs> Star Wars Bath, yeah, maybe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think so, yeah. So that's a weird, it's one of those things that, the, you know, that I know I've heard people make jokes about is that, like, in Star Wars, there's no there's no bathrooms in Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, there's also, there's also no underwear in Star Wars. Yeah, well, yeah. that's, yeah, that's because in space, no one wears underwear, according to George Lucas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Specifically, yeah. specifically to Carrie Fisher, though. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. My my other my other uh, my other takeaway from that scene is that apparently there are different kinds of butts in space, uh, which you know you never really think about. But I guess alien anatomy isn't you know quite the same. So everyone's butts are a little bit different. I guess. Yeah, like a, like could you imagine a Kaminoan trying to use the restroom in that thing? They would snap their neck off. Right. <laughs> or the or what's the um or the other one that um oh, what's that Jedi Council member with the really long neck? Yeah, him too. Yeah, yeah. Or like, can you imagine like a like a Gamorian in there that he would destroy the bathroom? It'd be disgusting. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Star Wars bathroom talk coming live. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, they started it because they put it in this episode where they're talking about you know expelling your thorax and you're like yeah. what kind of butt does he have is it like a tube or like i don't know what happens down there oh Very- yeah because what if he doesn't have to put, what if he has to put like his face in it right and that's where like the mando puts his butt like what was like a belly button thing i don't know who knows <laughs> we will uh we'll tweet at uh john favreau and see what we get back all right what does yeah. this guy's butt look like yeah 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 <laughs> Actually, no. He might take that like a really weird. We might get blocked. <laughs> but no, no, no. We're genuinely honest. We're not being weird. Okay. Uh, the Mandalorian allows him to leave the cockpit to find the vac tube. The Mithril finds the vac tube and says that it will take a while because he is molting, whatever that means. Uh, he takes advantage of the toilet break to find a way off the ship, not necessarily off the ship, but out of the little, the little enclosed area he was in, and enter, enters the ship's cargo hold only to find several other bounties frozen in carbonite. Uh, so uh, we uh, we did, we did, we just passed over. I forgot to stop you. We missed the second reference to the holiday special in a single episode. Oh, Good. yes, where he wants to maybe make it back home by Life Day. Correct, to be with his family for Life yeah. Day. Yeah. So here, here again, we have like, so does that make the Star Wars special canon or is it just Life Day is canon now? Who can say? Yeah, yeah. Um, Life Day is definitely canon because I think it gets brought up in a few like current in canon uh, like uh, novels and such. Yeah, I, I think so, you're right, and and I know what I know for sure. Uh, they're doing this year. Uh, Disney Plus is releasing yeah the Lego Star Wars Holiday Special, yes. which I'm sure will be. Making fun of the original holiday special, but with yes. Lego, and they've got it's going to be sent around Life Day again because that is their their Christmas quote unquote. Yeah, uh, is Life Day. Yep, uh, I'm excited for that. Which okay, so well, quick quick sidebar question here. Now that we're uh, now that I mentioned Galaxy's Edge a minute ago, you know how at Disneyland they do like the holiday decorations, they do the Christmas decorations, and blah uh-huh. blah blah. Do you think eventually? in galaxy's edge we'll get like life day decorations yes actually i've heard though that's in the plan for this year i don't think that's happening this year <laughs> well i mean no galaxy edge of florida is open oh you're right you're right you're right yeah uh, no but i no, i did hear like kind of in the midst of some a lot of the the talk you know, pre and post pandemic that 
they were working on some way to integrate Star Wars holidays into Galaxy's Edge and be able to refresh the decorations and redecorate for certain holidays to help drive more uh, traffic into Galaxy's Edge. Not that it needs it, but but you yeah. know, I did, I did hear there was there's at least two or three like holidays they're they're trying to figure out. They were like, there's been talk about how to implement into uh, a Galaxy's Edge setting. Yeah, that'd be dope. And plus, and I'm sure they that this is one of the reasons why they thought about this. You could have that that selective uh, life day merchandise that you can only get right then. Right. Um, yeah. No. You, you. Yeah. You put out a lot of in in universe uh, life day merchandise. Yeah. Merchandising. Um, Merchandising. Yeah. Some new photo ops. Um, if you if you really build a mythology around life day, if you create like their Santa equivalent or something, then you have you know Chewbacca wearing a necklace or something from oh, life day yes. and oh, you have goodness. new characters uh you know the the when you, when ray and um what's her name are walking around they have more things you know they have more stories to tell oh, to say. yeah yeah uh you know so i, I mean it's smart because now now that the galaxy has been around a year um you know there's there's people like us who will go every single time and want to spend all day there and you know but there's also another segment where it's like you know, people like, uh, you know, members of my family or my wife are like, all right, this is kind of cool. Okay, let's go to Thunder, let's go back to Thunder Mountain now. <laughs> <laughs> so then you got so you got so you got to figure out like how do you get those people to come back? Like, what do you do to get you know draw them back in to like see what's going on over there? Yeah, yeah, I'm sure they're they're on it. I'm sure they're on it. Yeah, but um, like I said I, think, I read a couple of things that, saying they're talking about doing implementing some some holiday uh, Star Wars holidays over there. Yep, can't wait. Um, so our blue mithril, he uh, he found uh, other bounties that are frozen in carbonite, uh, which goes to show that that, that apparently is a common practice. Because yeah. I always, I don't know, I always I was under the impression that when they do an empire, it's not something that happened all the time. They don't do very often. Yeah, because they always talk about having to convert it. But I guess maybe the idea is that they were doing carbon freezing, just not for people. It was for like uh, freezing the gas or freezing some kind of commodities they were shipping. Yeah. through there uh and so that was really kind of more had to do with the conversion rather than like hey we're gonna take this process that we don't use for people and all of a sudden we're using our people now yeah so i guess i was mistaken on that <laughs> well no i think you're i think you're right i think it wasn't common practice at the time but um with this being about you know seven years later it might have found its way more so like into the mainstream i guess um, although it, I mean, although it is common enough that when you get to Return of the Jedi, um, Leia does talk about carbon sickness, so it's a thing. Like it's not like you know they don't know what's what's going to happen to Han when he when he thaws. They have an idea what you know that blindness is one of the things that can happen, and some of the other like uh, you know uh, side effects. And so I you know I don't know maybe I just was kind of been naive and not really kind of put those two pieces together. Maybe you know this was like a very common you know. The common way to transport criminals and stuff was to carbon freeze them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, he sees the other bounties there. He realizes he won't be able to celebrate Life Day. Uh, the Mandalorian agrees and yanks him to a carbon freezing chamber, freezing the mithril. And that is the end of our little blue buddy. He's gone. Um, <laughs> gone, but, but not forgotten. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, the Razor Crest travels to Navarro and lands at a spaceport. 
He walks through the streets into a cantina, which is frequented by various humanoids and aliens. He meets with a uh, man named Grief Karga, uh, an agent for the Bounty Hunters Guild. And I think actually he's the uh, like overseer, pretty much. And he is what he's. He's what he's what what you would call in other games are saying like a his fixer or his handler yeah or like a fixer really is really kind of what you would I think is the underworld term for it, the guy who you know gets the jobs from higher up and hands them out to the you know to the enforcer level guys yeah yeah um, cargo remarks that the job was done fast and pays the Mandalorian in imperial credits uh, the Mandalorian refuses to accept the payment since the empire does not exist anymore. So Greek, uh, Grief offers him calamari flan, but adds that he can only pay him half. And the Mandalorian reluctantly accepts his payment and begins to offload his cargo of the bounty's frozen carbonite. This is the uh, first time in this episode that we know when this is taking place. Yeah. Because yeah. up until this point, there's been no, there's no reference point of like, we're in time out of this. So for all we know, this could have been happening pre-Clone Wars, during the Clone Wars, you know, during the Force Awakens era. We literally have no idea when this is happening until that moment when he says that the Empire is over. So at least we know it's at some point post-Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Unless- um, we still don't know where exactly, but, you know, in that time frame until later on. But, you know, we, we definitely, this puts us in a, in a moment in time. Unless you're like a Star Wars nerd like us and you knew all this like six months before the show came out that, oh, okay, we know it's going to be taking place after Return of the Jedi, blah, 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 blah. But yeah, for the general audience, this is, yeah, the first time they know. Um, well, but even then, this is our first confirmation of it because, you know, up until yeah. that point, there was still, I mean, like we talked before, there's so there's a lot of secrecy about this show. And so we don't really, we didn't really know what was going on. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we heard rumors and the assumption was it had to have been after Jedi, but this is the first time we know for sure. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Yep. Um, back at the cantina, Karga tells the Mandalorian that he has several several bell jumpers and a wanted smuggler. I wonder who that wanted smuggler is. Um, and the Mandalorian wants to take them all, but Grief warns that he cannot because uh, he has other bounty hunters that he has to essentially equally distribute to. Uh, Grief also explains that many don't want to be paid guild rates and don't mind if things get sloppy. Uh, the Mandalorian asks what his highest bounty is, and Karga says that it's 5000 But the Mandalorian is unimpressed because that essentially, as he remarks, uh, it won't even cover fuel these days. Uh, so 5000 credits, uh, I guess, doesn't get you much. Um, no. No. Which, hold on. How much does uh, Ray get offered for BB-8 in The Force Awakens? I forget. It's portions. It was like food is a ration. She gets paid oh, in food. So it's not even credits or anything. Okay. No. Yeah. Okay. Um, the Mandalorian counters that it won't oh yeah, cover fuel. Uh, the guild agent tells the Mandalorian that there is an off the books job with no chip code. The uh, Mandalorian accepts this offer and travels through the back streets of the town. And he travels to a house with a green door and is greeted by a gatekeeper droid who uh, does like he that little eyeball guy that comes out of the wall and it goes, uh, pinky or whatever he says. I don't know. Yeah, the, the throwback to Jedi because that's the same thing, yeah. same setup that Jabba has at his palace. Yep. And uh, I really want to know what that word means something, something pinky. Yeah. 
Well, apparently the universal language uh, outside of, on the Outer Rim is Hattis, because everyone seems to be speaking Hattis all the time. I think that droid's speaking Hattis as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, good call. Anything about it's that. like the it's like the French of uh you know of the galaxy is Hades apparently. Yeah, yeah. So the Mandalorian displays a transponder and is admitted inside the building, and a gonk droid leads him down a corridor to a room where he is greeted by four uh, stormtroopers, the remnant stormtroopers in dusty armor. Um, this is the first time we see Mandalorians, uh, or not Mandalorians, uh, stormtroopers in the show. And uh, we thought, hey, what are they doing? Or I thought um, that it was strange that they were there because I thought the Empire was gone. But um, I guess not. Uh, the Mandalorian finds that uh, the client, who is the one who's setting up this whole deal, is an elderly man with uh, white hair. And he never really introduces his actual name. He's just referred right. to as the client. Well, because that's even in, uh, even with the pop figure, uh, he's just called the client. They don't even give him a name. Uh, even the pop figure doesn't have a name. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he's played by, help me out again, Chris? Uh, Werner Herzog? There you go, Werner Herzog, yep. Um, who is a very eclectic uh, director, actor. Uh, he's very prominent, uh, I believe, like in the, the 60s and the 70s. Um, but they somehow got him for this uh, very interesting part of the client. I also think it's fun that you have a uh, some of the German accent uh, representing the Empire in uh, on film because you always make jokes about the Empire being space Nazis. Yeah, you actually have someone who's with a German accent working with stormtroopers. I thought that was funly ironic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the client says that Grief Karga told him that he was the best in the guild, and then just then a door swings open abruptly, and the Mandalorian reaches for his blaster. And uh, a panicked human with glasses comes out. Uh, and this guy, he has um, kind of like officer wear on. And on the, one of his arms, he has a patch of uh, the planet Camino, I believe, like uh, for the cloners. Oh, so, okay. So we're kind of led to believe that he's affiliated with cloning, cloners, Camino, something like that, due to the patch on his arm there. Um, the stormtroopers order the Mandalorian to drop his weapons, and the um, the clone affiliated guy he apologizes for uh, alarming the Mandalorian. Uh, the client introduces him as Doctor Pershing, apologizing for his lack of decorum and saying that his enthusiasm outweighs his discretion. He tells the Mandalorian to please lower his blaster. Um, the Mandalorian insists that the stormtroopers lower theirs first, but one stormtrooper says that they outnumber him. Uh, the Mandalorian replies that he likes those odds. I believe that, I think it's like we have you like six to one, I think. Yeah. Or eight to one, six to one or eight to one. Uh, but the Mandalorian still likes those odds. Um, the client adds that grief warmed him that the Mandalorian was expensive and tells him to sit. They are joined by Dr. Pershing, and the client unwraps a red cloth with Beskar and tells him that it is a down payment. Um, so he's getting so, paid, he's getting paid in straight up Beskar now. Yep. So this is so the interesting thing. So I was thinking about this is like so. I feel like the Mandalorian was set up maybe because a this guy just has a lot of Beskar sitting around somewhere. Uh huh. To like. I feel like 
I feel like Car, uh, Grief, and uh, and this guy are kind of in it together to to make to guarantee the Mandalorian is going to take it because I mean, what other way? Kind of as we get, we'll find out in a couple more minutes. Like that seems like that would be the best way to get him to do anything would be offer him Beskar, especially the amount of Beskar that they eventually do you know offer him. So I feel like there's kind of a weird setup going on because I feel like if it would have been any other bounty hunter. I don't know that you, why would you give them Beskar because yeah, it's a valuable metal, but uh, you get the impression that very few people, i.e. the Mandalorians, are pretty much the only ones who can use it for anything, who can actually like mold it or shape it into something other than just like, cool, I have this metal plate. If I find a Mandalorian sometime, I could probably trade to him for something valuable. But other than that, like what would like what would Dengar do with Beskar? I don't know. Probably nothing. <laughs> yeah, it's true. So like, it's like that's the, it's the, the, very yeah, specific to yeah. him. Yeah. It's very specific to him. So I feel like there's a weird like he got set up, like that like that he got played by by his handler to kind of maneuver him into taking this job. And I mean, and for all we know, maybe the the finder's fee uh, that you know his handler gets is is ginormous. So he figured he had to get someone in there, or you know, I I don't know. I just feel like there's another conversation that happens before all this between uh, grief and and the client, where they really kind of negotiate out how like who they're gonna who who's the best one and how they're gonna lure him into this job. And I think I don't know. It was just kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um... So he promises him a treasure trove of Beskar if he delivers the asset. Um, Dr. Pershing then says that, that it must be delivered alive. And the client obliges but warns that the bounty hunting can be a difficult profession. Um, he has that proof complicated, of... Complicated profession. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he has that proof of termination can be provided for a lower fee. And then Dr. Pershing agree, disagrees but the client overrules him anyway. Uh, due to the sensitive nature of the job, the client can only offer him a tracking fob. When the Mandalorian asks about the chain code um, for the bounty, the client replies that he can only provide the last four digits. Um, he mentions that the asset is 50 years old, but that they can give him the last recorded position um, of where he was at. Oh. And yeah, so, and here we are. Here we have like the, the, the second great misdirect of this episode. Where you know they they feed, they give you some piece of information and you're like oh, okay he's fifty year old dude sure all right and then yeah when we get there it's something completely different yeah totally <laughs> yep and then um he says uh, the the client reassures him that if he's really as talented as he is he can make short work of it and uh, the client says that the best guy rightfully belongs to the Mandalorian and is good to restore the natural order. Uh, after a period of chaos, ominously, ominously asking the Mandalorian if he agrees. Um, so Jin, or yeah, the Mandalorian Jindarin takes the takes the bounty, and he walks through the streets again, passing by a Kawaki monkey lizard being roasted over a spit, uh, while a despondent monkey lizard watches from inside a cage. A nice little, uh, again, a nice little nod to. Return of the Jedi with uh, the introduction, I believe, of the very first Kawaki and monkey was monkey. And you kind and and uh, you know, I thought it was like, is there really enough meat on a Kawaki and monkey lizard to eat? Because they don't seem like they have a, they're not very meaty. Yeah. yeah. Secondly, uh, as as you're describing it, I just have flashbacks of you get that the you get that same sense in that scene in uh, Last Jedi where Chewbacca is about to eat a pork and the other porks are watching him. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so they have that, that same kind of setup. Yeah. 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 Except a porg, I feel like 
that the pork has some meat on its bones. That would be pretty right. thirsty, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I feel like they're kind of meat, like they're kind of like a chicken, uh, you know, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um. Yep. So he uh, passes through the marketplace down a flight of stairs into an underground hall full of Mandalorians, included uh, including helmeted children. Uh, the Mandalorian appro- approaches the armorer um, and presents her with the calamari flan and Beskar bar. Um, the female armor says that the Beskar bar was melted down during the Great Purge, and that is good that it is back with the tribe. The Great Purge, I believe, is referring to the Empire uh, pretty much dominating Mandalore. Um, yes. And taking, and taking all their Beskar, yeah. Right. Well, yeah, because I mean, because Beskar is the be- you know one of the strongest metals in the galaxy, and so they were. I, I believe that the, I believe, if you know my lore is correct, that the yeah the the Empire eventually comes in, cracks down Mandalore, uh, wipes pretty much all the Mandalorians out, and then the strip mines the planet for the Beskar. I think is kind of what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> The armor says that a pauldron is in order and asks if his signet has been revealed. Almost like talking to the audience, I feel like, at this point. Like, oh, have you shown them your logo yet or your crest? Right. <laughs> and right. I was like, oh, cool. Um, but no, no, uh, no uh, signet has been revealed yet. But maybe next episode. Wink, wink. Um, he says not yet, and she responds that it will be ready soon. The female, uh, not the female, the armorer gets to work melting the Beskar while the Mandalorian watches. Uh, she says that the Beskar alloy is generous and will sponsor many foundlings. And this is, uh, I think, one of the first times we hear about foundlings, uh, essentially Mandal- Mandalorians finding young children that are uh, without homes and then taking them into their tribe. Um. The Mandalorian says that he was once a foundling and experiences a flashback of his parents being gunned down in the streets. Uh, the armor presents him with a metal pauldron, um, and then we are out of we're out of there. We get our first little look at the armor and her design and everything, and the whole way that they set up that scene was pretty awesome. I really liked seeing her like as a as a blacksmith. And yeah, the, like what would a blacksmith look like in the Star Wars universe? Um, well, I think at least she's cool with like the fur, so the, the like the fur shoulders and her spiky helmet, just such a really good, just a really cool design for a character. Yeah, and you kind of get the idea like her, her, you know, like her armor is a little maybe more ornate than everyone else is wearing because she's as an armor, she would kind of you know add flourishes to it. You get the idea that her armor is older maybe like because it seems like it's kind of a more from an older time period it's very like medieval looking i don't know it's really cool yeah and the mandalorian himself is kind of medieval looking too like he yeah does kind of look especially the helmet um minus like the visor he does look like a knight you know yeah um yeah yeah well i also like they did a really good job of showing you how uh, an armor, how Amando's armor is really like part, like an extension of their soul or their spirit or their or themselves. In yeah. that, you know, every time there's a hammer pound, like shaping the armor, he has a flashback of his of his, you know, how he became a Mandalorian and like all these things. And so I think it's kind of a cool 
Um, it's just kind of a cool way of like giving you a lot of like info, implying a lot of things that actually like telling you directly like, oh, Mandalorians, like they view their armor as part of their religion. You really get a sense of that in the way they, they shot it and the way they intercut it. I thought it was really a really good way of, there's a lot of things where they, they tell you a lot without telling you a lot. Like they show you a lot, which tells you a lot, but they don't actually come out and say things outright. Yeah. Which I really, which I really appreciate. Yeah, it's like it's the old uh, way of you know great storytelling. Um, show don't tell essentially, right? Um, and they they do a wonderful job at that. Um, so the Mandalorian flies uh, his ship, the Razor Crest, to the desert world of Arvala Seven. Uh, he flies over several mounds before landing in a valley. He follows. Can I, can I say that uh, we we're not even we're still like ten minutes away from the end of the episode. <laughs> Yes, we've already done there's already so much stuff has happened we've got our mandalorian the armor and all this stuff and there's yeah. still like one more like big act to happen like they be they pack like almost a two-hour movie into a half hour it's crazy yeah yep they uh they really did and uh, or maybe it's just that we're just you know that much into the stuff and just uh tickles uh every scene tickles our, our interest uh, it's pretty dense and interestingly enough it does follow it is, you know, it's kind of a throwback to Filoni uh, being this disciple of Lucas filmmaking. It does follow the Lucas uh, format of Star Wars movies, where there's mm-hmm. three different planets with three different like uh, ecosystems, yeah. and you show, you know, and 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 every star, you know, all the all the Star Wars movies do it, and it always has these these three different like distinct planets. And he again in one in one thirty minute episode. They're still following that that formula, which is was was, was kind of cool. Yeah, I never thought about that way. That's super interesting. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's yeah, if you, yeah. If you if you look at like all of the um, you look at all the Star Wars movies. So like uh, a New Hope, you have Tatooine, the Death Star, and Yavin. Yeah, yeah. And then Empire has Hoth, Dagobah, Dagobah. Cloud, Cloud City. Yeah. And Jedi has um, Tatooine, Dagobah again, kind of, and uh, and then uh, Endor. Endor, right? Yeah, yep, yeah. No, I hear you. And then you always have like the Death Star just looming with like their or the Imperials just looming in their ships or their Death Star or what have you. Right, right. I'm talking about as far as like planets your heroes go to. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, Lucas has a very like. Or at least for the, for the original trilogy ones where like he always showed his heroes always go to three different planets and they're yeah. always starkly different from the from the one before it yeah i hear you yep um so the mandalorian follows his tracking fob and scans the horizon and then he aims his uh rifle blaster at a blurg but is ambushed by one of the creatures uh which grabs him by his right arm and hurls him to the ground the Blurg is hit by a tranquilizer dart, and then a second Blurg charges him, but is also hit by a tranquilizer dart. Uh, a mounted Ugnaught Empire uh, creature uh, that we briefly see in Empire Strikes Back named Queel approaches the Mandalorian on a Blurg, and the Mandalorian thanks him for essentially saving him. He- Do we know? Uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, if you said this, I apologize. Do we know what planet this is that he's on? Yeah, it's uh, it's called it's a new planet called Arvala Seven. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I was just wondering if we were somewhere. Maybe I guess we look up because like because the only time we see Blurgs is with um, Ryloth, 
So for a minute there, I thought like, are we maybe on Ryloth? But no, yeah. we're not. Yeah. No. Um. And then Dave Filoni always. I don't know. He kind of plays it off like he doesn't like it, but I'm pretty sure he does. That in all of his Star Wars uh, contributions, there's always a blurg uh, involved somewhere, <laughs> in one way or another. So right, it's like how the blurgs like follow him around like, from project to project. Um. Yeah. Um. He says that he that the uh, 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 well, I'm sorry, the Quill uh, recognizes the Mandalorian as a bounty hunter and says that he will help him. He says that he has spoken and leads him to his moisture farm. And that's just another cool line that we get on top of this is the way, which is I have spoken. Uh, that's a really just cool, simple, but like powerful like line that it's introduced uh, in the Star Wars mythos. Mm. Later, he tells the Mandalorian that many have come seeking the same asset that he's looking for, um, but that they have all perished, and the Mandalorian is reluctant to accept his help. But Quill says he could show him the way to the encampment where um, the bounty is. When he asks for his cut, Quill says that he wants half of the blurgs that he captured, and uh, the Mandalorian wants to give him both of the blurgs. He doesn't. He has like zero business having blurgs, uh, but Quill <laughs> insists that he will need one. Because uh, he claims that the way is impossible without a blurg mount. Um, the Mandalorian doesn't want to ride a blurg, but Quill says that he has spoken again. Um, can you imagine, like, I don't know, a, a friend or uh, your wife or someone's yelling at you, and then you just sort of like, I have spoken, and then you just walk away. <laughs> like, right. I can't believe you watch the Mandalorian so much. And then you just go, I have spoken, and then you walk away. That well, first probably... you say, first you gotta say this is the way, and then say I have spoken, and then walk out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the Mandalorian struggle struggles to ride a blurg, uh, and uh, Quill suggests that he take off his helmet, but uh, the Mandalorian refuses again, highlighting the fact that he's going to be leaving his helmet on uh, for the rest of the show or for the foreseeable future of this show. Well, and there's, and there's a weird thing going on where you, up until this point, you get the idea that the Mandalorian the, you know, is, is very competent, very good at what he does, really, like, a badass. But then, like, in this episode, a couple of, they throw him in these positions where he just gets the snot kicked out of him. You're like, how is this guy so awesome? He just loses all the time. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, yeah. Quill uh, explains that the male is in heat uh, during mating, and then he watches as the Mandalorian tries to ride the blurg but keeps on failing. Growing impatient, he asks if the Ugnaught has a speeder bike or a land speeder, but Quill reminds him that he is a Mandalorian whose ancestors rode the great Mythosaur. Holiday special reference number two or three. 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 There we go. (laughs) He convinces the Mandalorian to give it a second try. Uh, the Mandalorian approaches the creature gently uh, and uh, tries to make a connection with it, and he's able to tame the creature together. Well, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't the Mythosaur skull the logo of the Mandalorians? Like the one that we most associate with Boba Fett, and the skull that you see when he goes to, when he goes to the Mando uh, com- commune or community on uh, on his planet. I believe I- so. I, I believe that skull that the Mandalorians 
symbolic skull is a mythosaur skull. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. It's a pretty cool uh, logo. Signet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, together, he and Quill ride their blurgs over the rocky terrain, which is lettered with crevasses, crevices, and gorges. Uh, Quill tells the Mandalorian that the encampment lies ahead, and the Mandalorian wants to pay him. Uh, but Quill says that the Mandalorian will be doing him a service by ridding the areas of mercenaries and crooks. Uh, Quill explains that when the locals want peace, that the locals want peace from these off-worlders. Um, and then when the Mandalorian asks what he wants, uh, asks why he wants his help, but Quill replies that he has never met a Mandalorian, but has only read the stories. Uh, if what he says is true, there will be peace. Um, and then this kind of definitely gives the whole Western vibe of the lone gun coming into uh, this town to rid, uh, you know, an area of like outlaws or whatever to bring peace to the town. Um, it's like a Western through and through, especially in this. Part. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yep. Um, continuing the journey and bringing us to this uh, final act of this of this episode. Uh, the Mandalorian approaches the encampment, which lies in this little valley. Uh, he scans the site with a with a telescope and spots several armed figures, including an IG series droid, the IG droid who is called IG Eleven, and uh, he is uh, voiced by none other than Taika Waititi, uh, who will later on go on to uh, direct, I believe, the season finale ep- uh, episode of this season. Um, but he also contributes to voice to IG-11. Um, he approaches... Uh, okay, hold on, sorry. got I got backwards here. The IG droid, okay, called IG-11. He approaches uh, Nick, Nikto sentries. Nikto is the uh, species that's kind of uh, hanging around there. Uh, yep. And they demand that they hand over the asset. Oh, no, yeah, IG, this is IG-11 right now. He approaches them and uh, demands that they hand over the asset under paragraph 16 of the Bondsman Guild Protocol. Uh, IG-11 is like super by the book, like to a fault. Uh, Right. Yeah, and I kind of love it. Um, The Nikto reach for their blasters, but IG-11 guns them down. And you actually finally get to see how an IG droid would conduct business with a blaster. And it's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. It, it, there's just arms, robot arms and torsos twisting and going everywhere. It's amazing. Um, other gunmen join the fight, but are gunned down by the droid as well. And then the remaining gunmen retreat behind a blast door. Um, IG Eleven repeats his demands, and the Mandalorian approaches the IG IG Eleven and tells them to get down. IG-11 initially shoots at him, but the Mandalorian manages to convince him that he's a fellow guild member. Um, IG-11 claims that the bounty is his, but the Mandalorian convinces him to split the money, and the two join forces to eliminate the hostiles. Um, and then this next scene is kind of like uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, uh, as far as like just two, two, uh, two gunmen being outflanked by just all these uh, hostiles, you know? Um, right. Yeah. Armed gunmen appear on the roofs, and the duo shoot them down. And an assailant attacks the Mandalorian from behind, but he shoots him down as well. Um, 
The Mandalorian locates the asset inside the building, and they shoot down more mercenaries and hostiles as more reinforcements approach. IG-11 uh, is like, okay, well, I'm going to activate my self-destroy mechanism um, <laughs> because uh, there's too much going on here, so this will ensure like I don't get captured, essentially. Uh, right. Yeah. But the Mandalorian convinces him instead to cover him while he finds a way to unlock the blast door. And the two are pinned down by enemy fire. Some of the Nikto mercenaries bring a laser cannon, which I think was like a '80s run have... action figure. Well, there, I, I, well, I think it's the. Well, isn't I kind of thought it was like a like the same. It could be. Uh, also, I, I don't know. I thought it, for some reason I, I was thinking of the same gun they use in Empire Strikes Back at the Hoff base that the stormtrooper set up on that on that tripod. Just on a hover sled. Oh, it could be. I, yeah. thought, I thought I don't know. For some reason, I thought it was an E-Web, but I, you know, but it's been a while since I've seen Empire, so maybe I'm maybe I'm maybe similar design, but not I, the same thing. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's they do look similar. You're right. Yeah. Um. So some of the Nikto missionaries bring a laser cannon. IG Eleven wants to destruct, self-destruct again, <laughs> <laughs> but the Mandalorian convinces him again that they should shoot their way out. And then a Nikto manning the laser cannon peppers them with fire. The Mandalorian convinces IG-11 to draw their fire while he uses the grappling cable to grab the laser cannon. He shoots the Nikto gunner and uses the cannon to take out the remaining hostiles on the roof in a really cool like hero moment, just like yeah. taking out everybody. It's an awesome action sequence. Um, uh, IG-11 disengages finally, his self-destruct mechanism, and uh, they make their way into the room where the asset is. Um, Despite his disdain towards droids, uh, the Mandalorian respects IG-11's fighting skills and expresses concern for the droid's blaster damage. He does get hit, but IG-11 says he is okay and does a diagnostic, finding that the blaster bolt missed his central uh, control system. Uh, the Mandalorian okay. and uh, IG-11... Sorry, Chris, do you, you want to add something? No, 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 you're fine. No, I was agreeing. Okay, cool. The um, Mandalorian and IG-11 use the laser cannon to blast down the door, and the Mandalorian shoots the last remaining sentry. IG-11 says that his tracking fob is still active and that his senders, sensors indicate a life form is present. The Mandalorian approaches a silver pram and finds that the asset is an infant belonging to the same species as Yoda. Yes, so when I first saw this, this blew me away. I was like, no freaking way. This is, like, amazing. Um, uh, I was less amazed. Really? Uh, I was, yeah, I was a little I was a little on the fence about it. I was like, because, okay, because part of it was like we were talking about before is that uh, what I really liked about the Mandalorian and what I really appreciated once it kind of got once I got into this first episode yeah was how not connected to the rest of the greater Sith Jedi Empire rebel conflict it was it was so outside of it, it was just a dude tracking bounties on the out on the rims of space just having Star Wars adventures without being part of the titular Star War yeah yeah um, and that having a baby Yoda you're like Ugh. I guess now we're back to Jedi again. And you're like, ugh. And then like, 
I don't know. I was, I was a little dubious of let's just take someone we know and make them a baby and that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. I was, I don't know. I was, I mean, I'm okay with it now, but like, I was a little like back and forth about it. I was like, everyone's like, oh, maybe was like, yeah, but I'd really rather seen like something new. Like, she's new because it's a baby, but he's not new because we've seen we've seen a Yoda before. We've seen you know that species before. We've seen it use the Force. It's like, I don't know. I've kind of seen this already. <laughs> I don't know. If putting it in a fresh baby packaging made it better or not. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I get you. So. I liked it for the simple fact that I love my Star Wars with the Force in there. Um, right, I agree. Is sprinkled somewhere, even if it's like even in Rogue One, there's not much of it, but we get uh, Chirrut uh, in there, we get Darth Vader at the end, so we do get some Force sprinkling in there. And what this reveal did for me was, okay, cool, so we have these uh, smugglers, we have bounty hunters we have like these uh you know like um non-force user characters going on but with the reveal of this character i knew we were going to be getting some sort of force connection in the show right so that for me as the type of star wars fan i am i was like i am all there for it plus uh as the rest of you know the pop culture side of it found out uh he's just cute as hell you know like right yeah so i mean i i i, I applauded the the idea and the the effort and the, you know the secrecy behind it because i i would baby yoda have taken off as or the child have taken off as he did if he was revealed in like a promotional photo or a teaser somewhere i don't know maybe maybe not. I, I i feel like you would have had i feel like most of your older diehard star wars fans would have probably if they'd shown us a picture of it would have reacted more like i did initially they would have scoffed uh, like, like oh great. yeah a little bit yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i think would have been a little little less receptive to it yeah to be to be honest um you know, because because even with no setup for it and no, you know, other than the uh, idea, that, you know, this thing is fifty years old. Um, you know, that was my knee jerk reaction to it was kind of like, ugh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But like, like I said, very very initial, very knee jerky was just kind of like, ugh, really. And then you know, and then obviously I warmed up to it. But I have a feeling if you had then if you had revealed it earlier, you would have seen a lot more of that on the internet. I, I guarantee you. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So uh, the Mandalorian is confused at this as he thought the target was uh, a 50-year-old um, something. Something, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and IG-11 very just logically and robotically points out, well, different species age differently. And, right. <laughs> and then the Mandalorian informed, or the droid IG-11 informs that the Mandalorian that... Uh, he received specific instructions to terminate the asset. Um, the Mandalorian disagrees and insists on bringing the child back alive. Uh, when IG-11 attempts to terminate the infant, the Mandalorian shoots and destroys the droid before um, holding up his hand and with a finger, and then the child reaching back with a little finger of his own, leading to like kind of like this... like. Uh, I don't know, like Leo Leonardo da Vinci type shot of like them like connecting with each other, and then boom, right. that's the end of our first episode. Uh, so here's 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 my question: Who hired 
IG-11. Probably just a different bounty hunter guild, except they were given specific instructions to do that. Right. By whom, though? Because the client wants a live. Yeah. Uh, and he, he fully admits that, you know, things can go, you know, you're, the whole thing can go sideways. And if he's dead, that's cool, too. Just bring the body back. But obviously, there's, there's, a, there's a different, there's something else going on that we don't even know. That we, even at the end of season one, we don't know. Yeah. There's, there's some kind of rival faction who knows about the existence of the child, but wants it terminated and not, uh, you know, and not preserved. So, I mean, so is it like... I'm of, the, I'm of the, the mind that it was still the client that was seeking, that was placing the bounty, but maybe Dr. Pershing wasn't around. So the client was just like, F it, dude, just kill it. I don't care. Uh, I don't know, because he, he talked about things being in the natural order. Uh-huh. So I mean, may, may, I don't know. It, it, it seems like a, I don't know. Well, they kind of wait and see. I, I don't, it's been a while since I've seen this series. So we'll have to kind of go back to see the next couple episodes where he, comes back to the client and see if maybe there's some kind of more clue about uh, I don't remember if they directly address like that that the IG was programmed to kill it versus you know he was given instructions to save it yeah so I don't know so I'd be kind of to see I, I don't know if they, I don't remember I don't honestly remember if they address it or not so I'll kind of have to keep your ears out until they talk about it. but there's there could be more going on so since we have the client and his group of stormtroopers and then at the end of the season, we have Moff Gideon shows up with a different set of stormtroopers. So I don't know. We'll kind of have to see. Maybe, maybe there's maybe there's a there's more to the story than we're being told yet. Even you know going into season two. Yeah, I get you. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, there definitely could be that aspect to it. Yeah. Well, I think, and, and what I I'm kind of curious to see is I would like to see how did how did the child get there? Cause I feel like my, my, I feel like my setup is that he was being transported in some, you know, Imperial convoy or former Imperial convoy. They got attacked by pirates and, you know, cause they were told, you know, they were hinted that there was some kind of high value. Something was being material or some of that was being transported. Uh-huh. They, you know, they, they take it out. Uh, steal and and all I find is the the pram thing with the child or whatever and like well I don't know what to do with this exactly and they hold up on their you know back of their base while they figure out what to do what their next move is uh-huh. and then all of a sudden these bounty hunters get sent after them and then they're kind of stuck. Yeah, yeah, and then okay, so another interesting topic that I we could dive into just real quick here is so the child is fifty years old and right. we're currently at nine ABY. Which right, would roughly put him at. Um, he was born the year, roughly, give or take a few years, I think, uh, around the Phantom Menace. Yes, and yeah, um, not to like slightly, yeah, slightly before the yeah, slightly before the Phantom Menace, yeah, yeah. So it's just an interesting thought that we know Yoda obviously is Yoda. We know that Yaddle has an appearance in, I think, just the Phantom Menace. And then we know that this the child uh, is existing somewhere out there. So the question that I'm interested in is, do you think, like, there are... How many more of this species of, you know, Yoda-like creatures do you think there are? Do you think it's very small? Do you think, like, they're hiding away, like, on a planet somewhere? 
Because there's not that many that we know of. I would argue that based upon just uh, just the how biology works in nature here on Earth, that anything that has that long of a life lifespan uh, probably is not particularly um, fertile or does not produce offspring often. Yeah, you know, kind of same with you know elephants and whales. So they're not they don't. They don't have, they're not having litters of whales. They have like one or two at a time or elephants have like one or two at a time. They're not, you know, yeah. they're not having like not popping out six or seven yeah. elephant babies like, like, like dogs or cats or creatures that have shorter lifespans or more prone to predators. Uh, you know, you tend to have a lot, you know, to ensure survival, have a higher offspring rate. So I have a feeling just what we know about their propensity for the force and longevity, I feel like there's not a lot i yeah. feel like there's not you know they're, they're maybe scattered i mean I'm sure we might get some story as far as like maybe there was a planet of them and they got wiped out by the sith or they got scattered kind of like the mandalorians did so that would be something that the child and the mandalorian have in common is that they've both been kind of wiped out by something and their you know their people are scattered throughout the galaxy i don't know yeah yeah and the other interesting thing to note is there's so there's three of them so far in the Seattle-like species that we know of, and all three are extremely Force-sensitive. Right. So I wonder if in the future, I don't think I would ever want this, but in the future we'll ever see like a Yoda-like species uh, character that's like zero like Force-sensitive. I don't think I would like that, but you never know. I, yeah, I kind of feel like the the what they're. I mean, we'll see. We'll see later on as this goes on. But I, I feel like kind of what they are that there is something about how uh, that that whatever it is about that species is just innately force sensitive. Like there isn't a non force sensitive one in the bunch. And I think I, the required reason why I kind of think that is I I just have a feeling that's part of the reason why the child exists at all. Like I mean, we're st- and we're still not clear whether this child is naturally occurring or a clone. They kind of imply it's a clone. They either imply that it is a clone or they're trying to clone it. I'm not sure which is, you know, what what's the situation is. But I, I feel like that the only reason you want to do something like that is because it is just, like, innately Force-sensitive. Yeah, yeah. Because otherwise, like, there's nothing intimidating. There's nothing special about Yoda physically or otherwise that would make you think, like, oh, this would make a good template for a soldier. Like, it has to be that their, their contribution to the galactic uh you know uh ecosystem is that they're just innately force sensitive yeah yep so one thing that i'm thinking about and um we'll probably end on this little question that i'll pose to you is all right and this may have been explored or said somewhere else before but uh, i'm not sure um what if the emperor, so the emperor, as far as we know at this time, is dead. But as far as we know, as far as the entire story goes, his force essence is still existing somewhere. In uh, a clone. Exegol. In a clone body, yeah. Yeah. Do you think that um, he would send the these ex-imperial officers and grunts and just other people to kind of like harvest like um this character the child to like kind of sap away like his force essence to kind of bring him back do you think that would be on the table as a storyline 
I, I probably, you know what? That, that's not a good, that's not a bad idea. I think, well, I think there's a couple things there's with, with Rise of Skywalker, there's a couple of things that we can kind of speculate that, that could be happening here. Is that, yeah, are we, are we in a situation where the Emperor is looking for force sensitive things and, or creatures or beings to then, yeah, absorb their force senses to keep them alive, like he does with Ray and Kylo? Because you get the idea that, like, part of the reason why, like, he had been doing it before, but that Ray and Kylo were like a new kind of like battery that, that had a, you know had extra energy because they were two you know, two for the price of one type you know force power yeah um, versus like you know like something like Yoda like you, you know he's for all we know maybe there's a whole you know prison of you know force sensitive people he's just absorbing their force essence to keep himself alive there's that aspect of it there's the other side of this is that is Snoke some kind of a weird genetic hybrid of things? <laughs> Cause Snoke has some kind of force force power as well. And so is like, is, is he, is there some kind of a Frankenstein situation going on where they're collecting kind of genetic material from a bunch of different force sensitive things, either one of two things, either create a more powerful body that Palpatine can inhabit or are they, you know, collecting all those things to cobble together the Frankenstein that you get the impression Snoke is? Yeah, I think it's kind of I don't know, it's two things kind of jumped to my mind as far as like what what's going on with this. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I mean, uh, maybe we'll get those answers uh, in season two, three, and beyond. Uh, we'll we'll see. It's a- there's, yeah, there's, I, I saw a couple articles and I haven't read them because I try to avoid some of this kind of stuff just in case they're right. Is that there's there's people are claiming there is some kind of a uh Sidious Palpatine reference in the Mandalorian season two trailer or in some of the stuff they've some of the rumors that are floating around right now. Uh-huh. I don't, you know, I don't like I, said, I don't know what it is exactly, but there the, there may be some kind of reference to you know the the clones or cloning Palpatine or whatever they're doing there because obviously they they do some kind of weird they do some stuff with when they're trying to make a body for Palpatine where they they try the experiment a little bit because that's how Ray's father um you know comes to be is that he's he's a clone of Palpatine but he's not like an exact copy because he doesn't have the ability to use the force yeah yeah so obviously they're they're, they're doing some tinkering with the genetic coding to to see if they can make a you know make a body that will that will survive yeah i get you yeah okay cool so overall for this episode uh i well, we'll we'll give it just a very quick ranking here. Uh, not ranking, uh, rating. Um, I give this episode a nine out of ten. Uh, it had humor, action, spirit, pretty much all the things that I look for in Star Wars content. Uh, and yeah, it was just an overall like home run for a first episode and introduction to uh, this character and all of his. Um, beginning affiliated characters uh chris what would you rate it uh same thing i couldn't agree more as a nine it's just it's so dense it's packed you get a real good sense of where the show is going what the show is about they lay out you know i mean there's there's a fun twist that happens in the next episode that we'll wait and discuss then because you think it's gonna go one way and it kind of goes a different way but it goes back to where you thought it went in the first place yeah <laughs> so you know there's some fun stuff there uh, and so I think, uh, no, it was definitely, you know, it's, it's just as a, as a beginning episode and a startup, it's probably one of the strongest of, uh, 
of Filoni's uh, offerings of of expanded universe content. I in both Clone Wars and Rebels and even Resistance. I the first couple episodes are a little tough to get through, but you know, but then eventually earned their their place. This one earned its place right away. Like there, I had no doubt this is going to be an amazing thing. The only like my only initial concern was the baby yoda stuff but that turned out to work itself out but in general like there was everything else i loved about this it was just it was just the strongest i think first episode that floney's done yep awesome perfect cool so we will leave that with you guys and uh chris is there anything that uh you would like to just leave with the people the good people the good people um stay away from the bad people i guess (laughs) yeah you know don't don't mess with anyone who has a red lightsaber because they're probably not good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and I will leave uh, this with you guys. Um, drink your eight cups of water per day and stay hydrated. It'll help alleviate a lot of random issues that the physical yes. human body will give you. all right uh thank you guys so much for listening uh this is the way and may the force be with you may the force be with you guys this is the way (laughs) thank you for listening Please feel free to follow us if you don't already at Blue Milk Latte on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and please rate and review this episode. Please feel free to let us know what you thought about uh, Chapter 1 of The Mandalorian, uh, and may the Force be with you. This is the way.